throughout the course of the year, you meet new people and you hear different stories and you want to help. You want to be a part of their lives and the high ground wants to be a part of their lives because this is their place. It's not mine. It's not anybody's Mm -hmm. in particular. Welcome to the Stigma Free Vet Zone podcast. Our mission is to help veterans and their family members transition from military to civilian life and culture. As best we can, we avoid stigmatizing names and terms. We feature conversations with those who have encountered unexpected reactions in their journey, including nightmares, rage, and isolation. Participants in our segments share experiences that make them uniquely qualified to join the quest to identify, understand, and resolve these enormous life challenges. Stigma-Free Vet Zone is brought to you by the Orban Foundation for Veterans. Learn more by visiting the Veterans.org and donations are always welcome at the Veterans.org slash donate. Thank you for embarking on this educational journey with the Stigma-Free Vet Zone podcast. Here's today's segment. I'm Scott Schultz, and today we're visiting with Chris Pettis, who's the executive director at the High Ground Veterans Memorial Park in Nielsville, Wisconsin. We're at the High Ground, and it's a really special place Tell us some of the things that are at the high ground, uh, starting with the Wisconsin Veterans Memorial. In uh, 1983, the organization um, started the beginning process of providing a place of honoring, healing, uh, and education to not only veterans, but their families. And over the course of the last uh, almost 40 years, uh, we've uh, added uh, almost 15 tributes from Vietnam, World War One, World War Two, National Native American tribute, tribute to military working dogs. We have a meditation garden, four miles of walking trail through the woods, and a learning center slash museum. And in the last probably five, six years, we've focused uh, quite extensively on mental health. The boot, I think you met. You oh, yeah, miss, can't, miss can't, the can't forget the, the, the tribute that covers the my time in service, uh, the Persian Gulf tribute honoring service from the Gulf War through uh, Iraq and Afghanistan. This is a pretty scenic place. It's on a moraine just west of Nielsville along Highway 10. It's almost kind of a spiritual place in some ways, isn't it? You know, there's things that happen throughout the year that it's kind of hard to put a finger on how they happen. You know, it's not necessarily just a coincidence. You know, there's mm-hmm. times I'm out there uh, talking with some guests and explaining fragments and the, the purpose behind the chimes under the woman's poncho. Uh, each one of those chimes has a, a name of a Wisconsinite that was either killed or missing in action in Vietnam. And it would be one of those days that there's no wind. And as I talk about that tribute, there will be a small, small enough gust of wind that will get those chimes to speak. And the rest of the day, you wouldn't have anything. It's, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's weird. Some of the things that do happen here, but it's, it's a spiritual weird. Speaking of those chimes, the high ground is working on a history project to make sure that the history of the place isn't forgotten about. The artist has been involved 
the artist, I'm saying, of the Fragments Monument, which is the Wisconsin Vietnam Veterans Memorial. I know Bob Kanusek has had some fairly profound things to say about his participation in what's really a unique piece of art. Looking through some of the plans from back in the 80s when they were trying to decide what type of tribute that they would want to place here, Bob's was one of a kind. I would really like to know what was going through his creative mind when he designed this because most of the others were granite slabs of something with names mm-hmm. on it. I'd, I had seen plans where it was a uh, large state of Wisconsin with a star, the hometown of all 1,244, mm-hmm. and, and I could see how that could be challenging. And when you see what is here and understand that it's called Fragments for a reason because it's put together in fragments, none of the individuals are a complete whole. And thinking about any time in a conflict, when we go to these other countries, we leave a part of ourselves there and we bring a part of that country back here in our minds, in our memories. And each one of those figures support one another. And that's the basis behind the success of veteran healing is knowing that we can't do this ourselves We need a support group, whether that support group be a fellow service member, an older veteran, sometimes even a younger veteran, or the families have to be a part of that process of kind of getting back to some sort of normalcy. As I understand it, Fragments is the nation's first Vietnam memorial to have a woman included into it. I've even been told that it was the first ever, not just a Vietnam Mm -hmm. tribute, but one of the first ever to have a woman in a combat role in the tribute. Mm -hmm. Let's go back to Bob, the artist. He won't take credit for for this. He will not. He, uh, I know he's got to have some internal feeling of, wow, this is so powerful. And, Mm -hmm. and, and I had a large hand in, in making this, uh, what it is, but he zero credit. He will dodge any question. He will praise everybody else that was involved in that tribute from the up in Rhinelander, the Galay College, uh, offering a place to build this, mm-hmm. uh, UW Platteville, and the team down there that, that actually turned it into the bronze. It, it was unbelievable. The, even the people who transported it from point A to point B, they all got the credit. He doesn't want any credit at all. Uh, humbling. Yeah, for what I, uh, Remember from Bob, he talks about it being for the veterans. It belongs to them. Yep. It's not his. It's his not. name ain't on it anywhere. It doesn't yep. even want to be associated in that manner. You have some conversations with veterans and family members who find that place pretty powerful out there on a daily basis. What do you hear and see, not only at Fragments, but every one of the other uh, tributes here on the high grounds grounds? What I guess sets us apart from other parks other than the tributes that we have here are the volunteer porch greeters that are down in the park that when you come in, they meet you in the parking lot, ask you if you've ever been here before. They ask you if you're a veteran, Mm -hmm. um, provide you the information. You have that human interaction where other parks you typically don't. So there's a, there's a vested interest by, by many people that sparks the conversations and the sharing of the stories of their time in service. And even in this process, the families that are with them may have never heard these before. It's something about the park, being around another veteran, that starts getting them to share. And your ear is hearing a lot of that sharing. It kind of has to pile up on you through the day, but 
it's satisfying maybe that you're helping others? It is satisfying that you're able to help others. You know, it might even not even be my experiences of service. It might be something that was shared from another veteran that could be relayed and shared with another veteran that could benefit from either that story or that technique or this hobby, this book, whatever it may be that would um, help them to understand some of the things that they may be feeling. Who do you turn to? <laughs> uh, if you had asked me this five, six years ago, I would have turned to a bottle. I turned to other veterans. The, the VFW and American Legion in my town has been very helpful. Uh, the staff here, that at times, I may share some of experiences or frustrations. But I think the big thing here is throughout the course of the year, you meet new people and you hear different stories and you want to help. You want to be a part of their lives and the high ground wants to be a part of their lives because this is their place. It's not mine. It's not anybody's Mm -hmm. in particular. When you hear some of the stories, you're like, all right, what can I do? Because that's not the only person that has that experience of that story. What can we put in place that would benefit or provide an area that other people like them, I get them together in that camaraderie and they start sharing their experiences. And those experiences help them become a bigger family. So with that, we've started a few other programs in the last couple of years and we're planning on starting another one. But of course, at the same time, we don't want to have so many things going on that we're not able to put 100% into each one of those things that we're doing. Some of those programs, a peer program, uh, family PTSD support group, those are kind of growing in importance. This strikes me, and this is going to sound odd, but I think it it is for me, uh, as, as an old Marine, some of this is kind of addictive. Helping other people is an addictive thing. When you feel it, it's hard, but it's it's satisfying. I didn't know you when you were younger because I wasn't even around then. Uh, Thanks, but, buddy. But I'm assuming our boot camp experience or our transformation from civilian into military was basically the same, even though they were decades apart. Mm-hmm. And the, one of the big takeaways for me from boot camp was it's not about me anymore. It's about everybody else. And, and I don't know if that was already in my DNA. As a kid, I would help out others, but yeah. it became more prolific in uh, in the service where it was about helping everybody else be successful. And when you surround yourself yeah. with successful people, you have no choice but to be successful yourself. There is a, a sense of positivity when you're there helping other people, especially if they're down. Hey, let's turn to Chris Pettis a little bit. We had your wife, Bonnie Pettis, on the uh-huh. podcast a couple of weeks ago, and I don't know that you can be nearly as profound as her. She's um, she's pretty tough check. She's put up with a lot of uh, Chris's BS. Mm-hmm. Um, but Chris is where he's at today is because he had a solid foundation with Bonnie that helped him through those times and, uh, wonderful mother, wonderful wife. And, um, you know, there's times because she's learning some of these things here too, that she tries to get tricky at home and, uh, gets me to answer things that I'm not ready to answer yet, And uh, but she's going to keep working it. She understands it. Coming and going from like a deployment, you've experienced firsthand how that has to be kind of a team effort where a family is concerned. It can't be all about you. It can't be all about the family. Talk about that a second if you could. Um, 
you know, always from my standpoint, or at least in my mind, I realized after probably my, I think it was my third deployment coming home that my time was easy. Vice being a single mother of two mm-hmm. with a job. And now you're the mechanic, the plumber, the disciplinary, the, lo- the, the, um, affection, the teacher. You're everything in one for that time frame. You know, as soon as I would come back from deployment, I wanted to jump in and do my part. That was hard for her because she had felt that since I was jumping back in that she wasn't doing a good enough job. And that wasn't the intent. It was, right. I want to start making it easier on you. Once we figured those roles out a little bit, it's helped. And I know uh, towards the end of end of my service, that was some of the things that was shared coming back from deployment. I said, hey, don't, when you get home, don't think that you're going to take over you know, doing the finances and all these other things right away. That's a, it's a slow transitional thing, or you're going to have problems in your relationship. We talk about transition quite a lot. The stigma-free vet zone, after all, is, is uh, in good part about transitioning back into civilian life. And it strikes me that you probably had a fairly successful transition back into civilian life after 20 years in the Marine Corps. And then you had kind of a personal, you and your family, a transition back into it when your son enlisted. Um, the the transition for me, I, I think I may have made it look easy for some, but it wasn't easy for me. Okay. I was institutionalized. I didn't want anything to do with anybody. Uh, and I had to force myself to go into town and meet people. Uh, little did I know I'd be working at a facility like this that at times I'm standing in front of 500 people. That still is not necessarily comfortable, but mm-hmm. I'm a firm believer in face your fears and you can overcome them. Again, uh, meeting the veterans in the town, meeting the veterans here, you, you build a relationship and you, you think, hey, if Scott can do it, I can do it. Mm-hmm. And they were, they were very supportive and helpful. And then when... um Austin joined the Marine Corps. Your son. Yeah, our son. They put us back in there again. You know, to, yeah. you, know you get pictures of him when he's in uniform and all, you know, mom gets all soft and dad's all proud. And it's, uh, it, and the ability for him to call and say, Hey, dad, this happened. What's, what's the best way to handle it? You know, we have, we have so much better of a, of a relationship now that he's walked in those boots mm-hmm. than I think we ever did as him, him growing up. Yeah. And of course, I can't go back and change anything. Uh, and, and that's one of the things in that peer to peer family support group. Every time I'm in one of those, I leave being a better person because mm-hmm. hearing other people talk about either their transition or things that happened to them in their, in their family life because of service. I'm like, holy smokes, that happened to me too. Or I was just like that. And I, I call my kids and, Hey man, sorry for, uh, some of the things that I did when I was a, cause you don't realize it at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's after, afterwards, but it's good. How are you with, you know, when we're, we're 20 years old, 21 years old, 18, 19, and 21 years when old? When we're invincible. We're, we're invincible. We're invincible. And then you look at it and, you know, as we get older, we say, well, maybe we aren't quite as invincible. And it's not good to be doing some of the things, to be taking some of the risks. How does that hit you with Austin? Because he's out there standing on the wall now. Um, the things I wish I would not have done or the things I wish that I did differently, 
I pass that information on to him. I'm mm-hmm. never going to tell him what to do. Uh, I just want to give him choices or help him make choices yep. that fits his scenario. So I think that has been beneficial for him personally. Not to get into details, but he's had some things happen uh, this last uh, couple weeks that would fall into that mental health arena. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he's even said, Dad, I mean, even at night, uh, when he was 19, he says, Dad, I'm too young to be dealing with some of the things that I'm dealing with. Mm-hmm. And I said, That's what your mom and I are here for, is to help you through those because we've lived those experiences also. And helping him look through a different set of glasses or take those different steps to help help be better. You said something that probably, from my point of view at least, and you can agree or disagree, that is important for people who haven't experienced the military experience. It's important for them to know that you are 19 years old dealing with things that sometimes a 19-year-old might not be ready for. There may be some things that uh, an individual might never experience in their life. And, you know, there's other jobs out there that are that are just as dangerous and have the same potential traumas uh, as the military. Yeah, I never had the urge to climb a 500 foot tower uh, or anything like that. When I was 18, 20, that wouldn't bother me. Exactly. (laughs) Not no more. Yep. Uh, We have to we have to remember that that uh, these men and these women are are dealing with a lot yet. You know, one of the things that I've always noticed that we aren't in. Right at the moment, uh, what, what old gunnery sergeant used to call a shooting war, but there's a lot going on out there that, uh, and there's a danger every moment for these people, and we have to remember that. Well, you figure they're still, they're still training. Anything can happen during training. Mm-hmm. Uh, transitioning from one country to another to train things, things happen, different environments. And not everybody in those other countries is friendly to you. True statement. And really all it takes is one person to screw it up for everybody, yeah. uh, depending how you look at it. But, you know, we, we've got people in our own country that are, are definitely not pro-military. And I have to look back at, uh, you know, the, the stories that have been shared here of Vietnam veterans coming back from Vietnam and how they were treated. Uh, and I, and any Vietnam veteran that's, list, that's going to listen to this podcast, I want to say thank you for making sure that I didn't have to go through that, or my generation didn't have to go mm-hmm. through that. Uh, when I came home from any deployment or or trip outside of, of Conus, there was somebody there to welcome me home uh, right. when we first came back in. And a large majority of those were wearing Vietnam veteran hats, or you could tell that they were spouses of. Mm-hmm. And uh, people that you never met were giving you a hug and thanking you. And yeah. I could imagine coming back from from Somalia or Iraq and being spit on or zero appreciate. I don't know how I would have responded. And I can understand why a lot of veterans have that still have a bad taste in their mouth after 50 years. I get it. Jumping back to talk a second or two about the high ground here again. You have a building project going on here as we speak, a capital campaign to do a little expansion. Tell us about that. Well, in... 2019, a feasibility study was done uh, because we have outgrown the space that we have, and we are, for the most part, an outdoor park. And in the event of inclement weather, there's really not a place for anybody to go. And some people travel three, four, five hours to come here for a, for either a stone ceremony or an event. 
Uh, and we have to cancel that. Plus, we had also outgrown our museum from all the wonderful donations of, of uh, family heirlooms, military history, and mm-hmm. um, things that we've acquired or even made ourselves over the years. So at that point, we were trying to raise $4 million to build a 12,000-square-foot facility. Uh, unfortunately, uh, we had some. We had a, a thing called a pandemic and yep. then another thing called inflation. Uh, so we have uh, since made our plans a little bit smaller, and we're actually going to add on to the facility that we currently have. For me, one of the big takeaways since our, our mental health uh, or some of the things we do for mental health we wind up doing it in a two-car garage or in the basement of the building that we're in right now. And, and I don't feel that it's a necessarily a welcoming or a, a conducive area for that. So this new facility is going to have a theater room or a multi-purpose room where we can gather more people. Part of the mission here is education. Is, 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 is education. Uh, but with that, um, and, and you're a part of the We Were There series, we're building a documentary on mm-hmm. Vietnam veterans sharing their experience. Now we would have a location to be able to show that. Of course, museum experience will be a little bit better or bigger. I don't want to say better because Teresa does a phenomenal job of right. setting up exhibits. We'll also have a, a small chapel for those that utilize faith in their healing. And we're also going to have a counseling room where hopefully at some point we would be able to have a clinician on site if we needed it or a location for clinicians to travel to with the people that they're they're working with and they could benefit from the healing acumens of the park. And you guys aren't sitting still where that part of things are concerned. You're cooperating with an organization to not counsel, but we better understand. Right. We, and we actually have, I don't want to call it a partnership, but we have a working relationship with um, uh, several uh, people within probably 150 radius of around the park that um, have the skill sets, willingness, they, they want to be, want to be involved and enjoy working with veterans. Mm-hmm. By the way, the building project, there is the capital campaign. How do folks get a hold of you if they would like to make a donation? There are a lot of opportunities. If you are interested in finding out more about the capital campaign and our progress, you can look us up online at thehighground.us, or you can uh, contact us at 715-937-3392, and I'll be able to answer any questions that you may have. If you're interested in making a contribution or donation towards the building, you are, you can either do that online or reach out, and we can send you some paperwork on it. All right. Thanks again, Chris. And that's Chris Pettis, Executive Director of the High Ground Veterans Memorial Park at Nielsville, Wisconsin, in Clark County. On behalf of the entire team at the Orban Foundation for Veterans, I'm Scott Schultz, reminding you that if you are a veteran and you have any worries about your mental stability at the moment and have any ideas of harming yourself or others, please pick up the phone and dial 988-PROMPT-1 immediately. And remember, this is educational, not stigmatizing. Thank you for listening to the Stigma-Free Vet Zone podcast. Your feedback is welcomed and encouraged. You'll find contact information on our webpage, OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org. While you're there, please consider making a contribution. Donations help us continue to bring greater hope, 
understanding, and resolution on issues of civilian readjustment for all military veterans and families. Anyone who donates to the podcast will receive a free copy of the book, Sold Out, Conquering the Experiences of War by Michael Orban. Thanks for joining us, and please tune in again.